Okay, welcome back to the three star program and it's our show and uh, we are lying about ancient Egypt. YouTube shorts. Zahi Hawis and the Egyptian government conducted research on Ramses the first. It was the first study of this quality on royal mummies. They discovered that the king was murdered through a plot fomented by one of his wives. The results were widely publicized, but some key details remained hidden. The relationship between the king and the nearby mummy was determined using genetic kinship analysis. The man was Ramses' son. Both were YDNAE1B1A carriers, the most common haplogroup in Black Africa. Surprisingly, that info never made the news. Something unusual, since they've been flooding us with studies on non-royal mummies lately. A decade later, Zahi Hawass admitted that the skulls and complexions of Chemites resemble oh, those of Black Africans. The skull could be looks like Africa. No, they were dark skin, but they were not black. But they're not negative. And we now know he is aware that many Egyptian pharaohs were genetically linked to Black Africans. Regardless, he insists that they were not black. So, yes, experts are lying about Chemites. Are Egyptologists lying about ancient Egypt? In 2012, Zahi Hawass and the Egyptian government conducted research on Ramses III's mummy. It was the first study of this quality on royal mummies. They discovered that the king was murdered through a plot fomented by one of his wives. The results were widely publicized, but some key did. Right, so, um... So I'm making that into a tweet. Single-handedly acting, um, gatekeeping, uh, preventing us
Or is it Zawas? No, it's Hawas. Zawi, Zawi, Zahi, Zahi, Hawas. Is it? some morning about our challenge them to get out of the way and let us know the truth. Fucking A. Yeah. Shit. We're turning into a TikTok actually. So, um, y'all are still there. YouTube shorts. I read that the king was murdered through it. Okay, so. Okay, that guy went there to feel threatened. And he felt threatened and he fucking killed two people. Turns out the two people he killed were a convicted child molester and a skateboarder. Two of the most annoying people in society. <laughs> so as dumb as this kid is, he somehow went two for two. <laughs> it's like when they bring some fat guy out of the crowd halftime in an NBA game, you hit this half court shot, Fanny, you can win a touch from fucking Durango, alright? Fucking one now, holy shit! Damn, Rittenhouse did it twice, like at the other side! <laughs> Skateboarder, go fuck yourself! <laughs> <laughs> interesting he's talking about Kyle Rittenhouse. Okay, we believe renewable energy is the only path to energy, blah blah blah. Simple column designs. Mugulu. Oh my god. Hey guys. So here you can see a uh, carving in an ancient temple. This is really interesting. It just looks like a, a fish. fish. Yeah. You can see the mouth of the fish here. And you can see the body of the fish and the tail. At first sight, everything looks normal, but then when you observe carefully, look, you can see another fish inside of it, yeah. carved inside the body of the bigger fish. So this is the bigger fish, but inside you can see the smaller fish. And it sounds interesting because you can see the mouth and everything, but there is one more fish here. On the side, if you take a look, there's a tiny little fish. There's kind of an extension here. I don't know what that means. But it's right next to its mouth, but the bigger fish is not eating it. Now, what does this mean? Hey, guys. So here you can see a carving in an ancient temple. This is really interesting. It just... I saw a woman a couple months back, professional soccer player, right? She goes on to ESPN or one of these sports channels, and she starts bitching, going like, I don't understand. How come female athletes don't make as much as male professional athletes, right? And all of these men had to sit there and act like they didn't know what the answer was. <laughs> they had to sit there like dumbfounded, like, oh, uh, 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 uh. Why? Here are ten things that you didn't know about Japan. They have the second highest life expectancy primarily because of their diet. The government can penalize your employer if your waist measurement is above a certain amount. 
Raw horse meat is a delicacy in the southern region. Loudly slurping your noodles is a sign of enjoyment and respect. Over 80% of the Japanese landmass is made up of mountains. Tokyo has the largest number of people in a city across the world. The Japanese government hires workers to push people into trains so that they can expedite commute times. They have the most vending machines per capita in the world and even sell live crab in some machines. <laughs> it is very common for Japanese families to have KFC during Christmas. Some buildings in Japan don't have a fourth floor because the Japanese word for four sounds similar to the word for death. Same thing in Chinese. There are 10 things that you didn't know about Japan. They have the second highest life expectancy primarily because of their diet. What's the, the government first? can penalize your employer if your waist measurement is That's above interesting. a certain amount. Raw horse meat is a delicacy in the southern Rasashi. region. Loudly slurping your noodles is a sign of enjoyment and respect. Over 80% of the Japanese landmass is made up of mountains. Tokyo has the largest number of people in a city across the world. The Japanese government hires workers to push people into trains so that they can expedite commute times. They have the most vending machines per capita in the world and even sell live crab in some machines. It is very common for Japanese families to have KFC during Christmas. Uh -huh. Some buildings in Japan don't have a fourth floor because the Japanese word for four sounds similar to the word for death. Here are ten things that you didn't know about Japan. They have Today I failed in the kitchen. Welcome back to the world's first anti-cooking show where I show you how not to cook. Today I just straight up failed at making dinner. All I had was feta cheese, scallions, eggs, and avocado, so I thought I could work with that. I started to make a nice scrambled egg dish using laogan ma chili oil as my base. And it was going well, so I added my feta and avocado, but then I kept over mixing the eggs until they were like baby food, and it ended up having a really bad mouthfeel. So I made some toast to give it like an extra crunch and not to toot my own horn, but that that was a great idea. Supper was saved. Today, I failed in the kitchen. Welcome back to the world's first anti-cooking show where I show you how not to cook. This was the picture <laughs> taken by Albert Garcia on June 15, 1991, during the eruption of Mount Pinatubo in the Philippines. The eruption of the volcano is considered to be the second largest volcanic eruption of the 20th century. Mm. The story of how he captured this photo was crazy in and of itself because he actually went to the volcano as soon as alerts were raised. They were mm. about 20 to 30 kilometers away from the mouth of the volcano and without warning, a wall of ash was beginning to envelop them. He and his colleagues quickly jumped on the back of their pickup truck and drove away from the volcano. That is, when Garcia saw the blue pickup truck that was behind them and took this shot. The picture won the 1992 World Press Photo Competition in Amsterdam and was hailed by both National Geographic and Time Magazine as one of the greatest photos of all time. Hmm. This was the picture taken by Albert Garcia on June 15th, 19th. Operation Paperclip was when... <laughs> People in the past have told, you know... You know how people always uh, kind of tear down, tear down women. Um, so instead of saying, oh, that's a great photo, Trista, never ever fucking say that. Um, a dude would say, oh, that's just like a point in clip. That may be beyond my abilities at the moment. Hey Siri, restart. I'm sorry. 
I can't do that here. Why not, darling? You see... You see things and you say why, and I dream things that never were, and I say why not. What is that from? Hmm. I don't have an answer for that. Is there something else I can help with? Yeah, what is that quote from, Siri? I'm not sure I understand. <laughs> never mind. Never mind. Well, let me freak. Okay. Well, let me shut down. Right. Start. Mm. Oh, that's a timer. World check alarm. Whoa, what the fuck is that? After World War II, the United States gathered up a ton of scientists from Nazi Germany, brought them over to America. Over 1,500. They had Werner von Braun run NASA. He was a Nazi, like a hundred percent Nazi. Good friends with Hitler, uh -huh. type Nazi. Yes, he was. He yep. ran a Berlin rocket factory where they hung the five slowest Jews, and that was the head of Nazi. That was the head of NASA. That was the guy who got us to the moon. That was the big cheese guy. Yeah. There's an amazing photograph of JFK, Lyndon Johnson, Kurt Davis, sitting at, you know, for a launch, a moon launch. And there's Davis with his huge dueling scar. And I'm like, and their position was, oh, he's one of the good Germans. We got the, we got the top Germans, and who do you think the top Germans were? Yeah. They were coveted by Hitler, Himmler, Goring. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, that's yeah. why we grabbed those Nazis. We were like, if we don't get them, the Russians will. Operation Paperclip was when, yeah. after World War II, the United States gathered up a ton of scientists from Nazi Germany, brought them over to America, and even word of I'm surprised that um, NASA. he was. A Nazi, like a hundred percent Nazi. Good friends with Hitler type Nazi. Yes, he was. He ran a Berlin rocket factory where they hung the five slowest Jews, and that was ahead of Nazi. That was ahead of NASA. That was the guy who got us to the moon. That was the big cheese guy. Yeah. There's an amazing photograph. If you think of the worst emperor of Rome, probably either Nero, Caligula, or Commodus will first come to mind. While those were really bad emperors, the Roman Empire quickly recovered from their devastating rule. Yet the reign of one emperor was so bad and came at such a bad time that the Roman Empire would never recover. I'm talking about Honorius, the Western Roman Emperor who ruled from 393 to 423 AD. Under his rule, many Germanic tribes managed to invade the Western Roman Empire, but instead of fighting them, he chose to fight Roman usurpers, and so over half of the Western Roman army was destroyed in senseless civil wars. To make things worse, he had his very able general named Stilicho killed, also Stilicho's son, and the families of Stilicho's federate Germanic soldiers, which would drive tens of thousands to join Alaric, and this would directly result in the sack of Rome. His inability allowed the Germanic invaders to permanently settle on the territory of the Western Roman Empire, and this would lead to the dissolution of the Western Roman Empire only half a century after his death.
If you think of the worst emperor of Rome, probably either Nero, Caligula, or Commodus will first come to mind. While those were really bad emperors, the Roman Empire quickly recovered from their devastating rule. Yet the reign of one emperor was so bad and came at such a bad time that the Roman Empire would never recover. I'm talking about Honorius, the Western Roman Emperor who ruled from 393 to 423 AD. Under his rule, many Germanic tribes managed to invade the Western Roman Empire, but instead of fighting them, he chose to fight Roman usurpers. And so over half of the Western Roman army was destroyed in senseless civil wars. To make things worse, he had his very able general named Stilico killed. I'll keep this brief so you can get back to your bit. Here are 10 things that you didn't know about Sri Lanka. Cinnamon is native to Sri Lanka and was first found on the island. This mountain is deemed to be the location of Buddha's last footsteps and also where Adam was exiled to from Eden. Sri Lanka has one of the highest literacy rates of all South Asian countries. Sri Lanka is home to the world's oldest human planted tree and it originated from a piece of the tree where Buddha sat against. They had a civil war that just ended in 2009 which went on for about... That's pretty neat. ...a war that just ended in 2009 which went on for about three decades. Volleyball is the national sport of Sri Lanka. They're one of the top tea exporters in the world, exporting about $1.3 billion worth. The world's first female prime minister was in Sri Lanka. Stilt fishing used to be a common practice, but is no longer reasonable. Rather, it is now used for tourists to take pictures. The design of the lion holding the sword on their flag is one of the oldest in the world, and it dates back to 400 BC. Hmm. What? Here are 10 things wow. that you didn't know about Sri Lanka. Cinnamon is native to Sri Lanka and was first Four found on the island. About the time this mountain is deemed to be the location of Buddha's last footsteps and also hmm. where Adam was exiled to from Eden. Sri Lanka has one of the highest literacy rates of all South Asian countries. Sri Lanka is home to the world's oldest human planted tree and it originated from a piece of the tree where Buddha sat against. They had a civil war that just ended in 2009 hmm. which went on for about three decades. Volleyball is the national sport of Sri Lanka. They're one of the top tea exporters in the world exporting about 1.3 billion dollars worth. The world's first female prime minister was in Sri Lanka. Stilt fishing used to be a common practice but is no longer reasonable, rather it is now used for tourists to take pictures. The design of the lion holding the sword on their flag is one of the oldest in the world and it dates back to 400 BC. Pretty cool. Here are 10 things that you didn't know about Sri Lanka. Cinnamon is native to Sri Lanka and was first found on the island. This mountain is deemed to be the location of Buddha's last footsteps and also where- Bob said, uh, okay, we got a problem here, you let the teacher's kid how to talk the way you want to talk, and I thought, 
why don't why don't I just talk the way he talks right now? And so we started hanging out with him. And he was from uh, Mississippi, deep in Mississippi. And he had this he had this hard G at the end of his. If he said it wasn't thinking, it was thinking. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't making, it was making. I said, "What does uh, what does your your father do?" My 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 daddy makes grease. That's what he said. And he said he made. He, I don't understand. Is grease something you make? Yes. <laughs> he says, "What do you do with grease?" Well, grease goes into all different sorts of products. <laughs> and I said, "Well, like what products?" Oh, grease goes into lipsticks. <laughs> was like well i'm not this is it this is it <laughs> so somewhere i had cassettes uh, hours and hours of me just making chit chat with a very young michael i'm sad i mean we got a problem here you have to teach this kid how to talk the way you want to talk and i thought why don't why don't i just talk the way he talks right now and so we started hanging out with him and he was from uh mississippi deep in mississippi and he had this he had this hard g at the end of his if he said it wasn't thinking it was thinking uh <laughs> it wasn't making it was making as a here are 10 things that you didn't know about india shampoo originated in india and the word shampoo is derived from the hindi word jampo there's a hill in ladakh that seems to have an anti-gravitational effect a car in neutral travels up the hill the game of chess originated in India and was known as Chaturanga. It is home to the wettest place in the world, Meghalaya, and they get over 10,000 millimeters of rain annually. There's a temple in Rajasthan dedicated to rats and it was created to honor a Hindu goddess. One of the first residential universities in the world, Nalanda, existed in India. They have the highest rail bridge in Jammu and it's taller than the Eiffel Tower. India and Pakistan have been fighting over a territory called Jammu and Kashmir with China playing a third party role. They have one of the most visited temples in the world, the Golden Temple of Amritsar. The city of Faranasi is believed to be one of the oldest living cities in the world. Here are 10 things that you didn't know about Shampoo. India. Shampoo originated in India and the word shampoo. <clears throat> Can Americans with no degree really get? I've written for some TV shows and you know, on a major TV show, you have to be careful about what you say about people because a lot of people get offended or so it has been explained to me. I was once, I'll tell you this, I was writing for an awards show once and I got into some trouble. I wrote a joke for this awards show that had the word midget in it. And someone from the network came down to our offices and he said to me, hey, you can't put the word midget on TV. And I said, I sure would like to. And he <laughs> said, no, midget is as bad as the N word. First off, no, no, it's not. Do you know how I know it's not, I said to him, is because we're saying the word midget and we're not even saying what the N-word is. If you're comparing the badness of two words and you won't even say one of them, that's the worst word. Also, I don't mean to gloss over what like little people have been through in this country, but you cannot compare the plight of midgets to African Americans. That is outrageous. Midgets were never enslaved, unless you count the Wonka factory. I've written for some TV shows 100,000 men who were basically agriculturist laborers were required to put up this gigantic tube. Let's assume the ramp was built. Here's another question that comes to mind. How could it reach the top? Was it built straight or in a spiral way? As the ramps were dismantled once the pyramid was completed, there were only fragments of evidence left for the archaeologists to study on. The builder faced a new task when they were positioned to fit the blocks together. Surprisingly, in such precise build, it was covered in limestone white stones were unfinished. The gaps between them were filled with rubble and gypsum mortar. 
However, few archaeologists found new evidence that maybe only a limited few may have worked permanently rather than seasonally and that approximately 20,000 men supported by bakers, priests, physicians were enrolled for this massive task. However, with time, more theories have come out. Professor Mark Lenner of Oriental Institute and Semitic Museum said that he and many Egypt 100,000 men who were basic. So this guy gets 100,000. So this guy gets rid of this chimp. 100. So this guy gets rid of this chimp, brings it to a shelter. The shelter takes it in. So this guy goes to visit the chimp and he brings a birthday cake. Happy birthday, buddy. And the other chimps that are in cages right next to him are like, this motherfucker didn't bring me a cake? I can't believe this shit. So they figure out a way to get out. And they got out and they attacked the man and they tore him apart. They tore his face off. They tore his dick off. They tore his feet off. They, they bit his fingers off. It's one of the most horrific, cruel attacks you'll ever hear of because they did it to try to take away from him the things he wants and needs like chimps recognize you need your fingers in order to do things you need your face in order to see you need your dick in order to fuck so that's the things they go after fucking assholes they don't they don't just try to kill you they try to take away what it means to be a human so if you try to hide your hands they'll pull your hands away from open them up and bite them off like crazy with a rage-filled look in their eye if you do something that makes them jealous they think immediately You've done some, something bad to them. So this guy gets rid of this chimp, brings it to a shelter. The shelter takes it in. So this guy goes to visit the chimp, and he brings a birthday cake. Happy birthday, buddy. And the other chimps that are in cages right next to him are like, this motherfucker didn't bring me a cake? I can't believe this shit. So they figure out a way to get out, and they got out, and they attacked the man, and they tore him apart. They tore his face off. They tore his dick off. They tore his feet off. They, they bit his fingers off. It's one of the most horrific, cruel attacks you'll ever hear of because they did it to try to take away from him the things he wants and needs. Like, chimps recognize you need your fingers in order to do things. You need your face in order to see. You need your dick in order to fuck. So that's the things they go after. Fucking assholes. They don't, they don't just try to kill you. They try to take away what it means to be a human. So if you try to hide your hands, they'll pull your hands away from them, open them up and bite them off like crazy with a rage-filled look in their eye. If you do something that makes them jealous, they think immediately you've done some, something bad to them. So this guy gets rid of this chimp, brings it to a shelter. The shelter takes it in. Do you think it's the average body count of a guy or a girl in USA? If we're talking girls... Before she even opened her mouth, I'm going to tell you right now, she's going to be lying to you like a monk. I'm gonna be generous. Generous means she lied. Okay. Uh -huh. The girls here, we're smart. We're beautiful, but we're smart, mature, and we have respect for ourselves. Right. Okay. We're gonna go with four. If we're taking like tops, bottoms, we're meeting at fifty percent. We're gonna go four. The men here have big egos. I won't lie, but not everyone falls. Not everyone falls. So let's settle at six. Trump gets crushing legal news. This sounds fucking awesome. 
It includes examples from 23 assets that were grossly and fraudulently inflated. And those inflated values were used on Mr. Trump's statements almost every year. All told, we uncovered more than 200 examples of false and misleading asset valuations that were used on his statements. The pattern of fraud and deception that was used by Mr. Trump and the Trump Organization for their own financial benefit is astounding. Breaking Trump gets crushing legal Inflating news. Inflating the values of assets uh-huh. by whatever means necessary. Re- rewind. This is fucking awesome. Thank I'm you, announcing Tish James. that today we are filing a lawsuit against Donald Trump for violating the law as part of his efforts to generate oh. profits for himself. He ain't going to be able to do business in company. New York anymore. <laughs> the complaint demonstrates that Donald Trump falsely inflated his net worth by billions of dollars Seizes to assets. unjustly enrich himself and to cheat this system, thereby cheating all of us. He did Seizes this with the help of the other defendants, assets. his children. Donald Trump Jr., Ivanka Trump, and Eric Trump, and former Trump Organization CFO Alan Weisselberg and Trump Organization controller Jeffrey McConaughey. Mr. Trump and the Trump Organization repeatedly and persistently manipulated the value of assets to induce banks to lend money to the Trump Organization on more favorable terms than would otherwise have been available to the company. To pay lower taxes, to satisfy continuing loan agreements, and to induce insurance companies to provide insurance coverage for higher limits and at lower premiums. His conduct was all in violation of Executive Law Section 6312, which gives the Attorney General broad and special powers to go after persistent and repeated fraud and illegality. As part of demonstrating illegality under that section of Law 6312, we show that they violated several state criminal laws, including falsifying business records, issuing false financial statements, insurance fraud, and engaging in a conspiracy to commit each of these state law violations. We believe the conduct alleged in this action also violates federal criminal law, including issuing false statements to financial institutions and bank fraud. And we are referring those criminal violations that we've uncovered to the United States Attorney for the Southern District of New York and the Internal Revenue Service. As a result of these violations, we are asking the court to, among other things, permanently bar Mr. Trump, Donald Trump Jr., Ivanka Trump, Eric Trump, from serving as an officer or director in any corporation or similar entity registered and or licensed in New York. To bar Mr. Trump and the Trump Organization from entering into any New York State commercial real estate acquisition or from applying for loans from any financial institution in New York for five years to pay for the financial benefits obtained as a result of the persistent fraudulent practices at an estimated 
$250 million. The examples I laid out uh, just barely scratched the surface of the misconduct that we have uncovered. The complaint, which all of you should have a copy, is more than 280 pages long. It includes examples from 23 assets that were grossly and fraudulently inflated. And those inflated values were used on Mr. Trump's statements almost every year. All told, we uncovered more than 200 examples of false and misleading asset valuations that were used on his statements. The pattern of fraud and deception that was used by Mr. Trump and the Trump Organization for their own financial benefit is astounding. Inflating the values of assets by whatever means necessary to increase Mr. Trump's purported net worth. That's how we got on Forbes. And then that net worth, net worth was used to further enhance his financial standing, right. intentionally misrepresenting his, financial, his financials to obtain incredible economic benefit. It was a scheme that by its very nature became more profitable over time. And it is all in stark violation of the law. This is New York forward. Attorney General Letitia James announcing a $250 million lawsuit against Trump and multiple family members and associates, including Don Jr., Ivanka, and Eric, for violating the law as part of a scheme to generate profits. They're accused of committing a raft of crimes, including oh. falsifying business records, uh, issuing false financial statements, insurance fraud, engaging in conspiracy to violate state law, issuing false statements to financial institutions, and bank fraud, or as Donald Trump would call it, Tuesday. Among other crimes, <laughs> Trump overstated the value of his assets, allowing him to derive massive financial benefit since he was able to leverage those inflated assets so that he could, for example, take out loans and higher assets would be more favorable amounts and more favorable terms. At the same time, he would immediately understate those same assets values to minimize his tax implications. And if this seems like something that's relatively easy to assess, that should give you some insight into just how freely Donald Trump has always been willing to commit crimes. Now, it's worth noting that Trump did have the opportunity to settle with the AG's office. According to the New York Times, Trump's lawyers had made at least one settlement offer, which the Times reported as being rejected by the AG. That was, of course, confirmed when the AG announced today's lawsuit. That likely shows that either the Trump team's offer was too low, which wouldn't be surprising, or that the AG's evidence against Trump was too good, which, again, wouldn't be surprising. But either way... That Thank part of the Tish. process is clearly over as Letitia James moves You're ahead awesome. with the suit. I should mention, too, that Trump did have the opportunity to defend himself. He was Go deposed girl. by the New York AG's office and invoked the fifth more than 440 Go times, which is weird because I seem to remember Trump saying this about the fifth. The mob takes the fifth. If you're innocent, why are you taking the Fifth Amendment? When you have your staff taking the Fifth Amendment, taking the fifth so they're not prosecuted... When you have the man that set up the illegal server taking the fifth, I think it's disgraceful. Have you seen what's going on in front of Congress? Fifth Amendment, Fifth Amendment, Fifth Amendment. Horrible. Horrible. All right. I got to say, if you let these people talk enough, eventually they'll tell them themselves. And on that point, because this is a civil trial, the jury would be able to draw a negative inference based on Trump invoking the fifth, as opposed to a criminal trial where invoking the fifth can never be introduced as evidence against you. Here's my interview with Glenn Kirshner, where he explains exactly that. Protecting nature begins with you. Defend the natural world you love by donating to the nature. Now that has some consequences, as you say. First of all, it completely 
tanks, it guarantees that he will lose this civil case mm-hmm. if it goes to trial. Because you know, a negative inference is a mouthful, but what the jury will actually be told during the trial when Attorney General James is trying to shut down the Trump Organization and make them pay a bazillion dollars in penalties and fines, <laughs> the jury will be told Donald Trump, when given the opportunity to offer up his defense to defend his actions to explain that he did nothing wrong he invoked his fifth amendment right against self-incrimination which means if he had testified he would have incriminated himself ladies and gentlemen of the jury you can factor that in when you're trying to decide whether to rule for or against Caesar's assets now, don't forget that this isn't the only investigation or lawsuit that Trump is contending with. He's also in legal jeopardy in Fulton County, Georgia, for having pressured the Georgia Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, to find 11,780 votes, exactly one more vote than he lost by, because as we all know, when Donald Trump commits crimes, he values discretion. He's under investigation by the DOJ for stealing classified documents from the White House, for which a search warrant was executed last month at Mar-a-Lago. He's also under investigation for the January 6th insurrection by both the federal uh-huh. government and the January 6th committee uh-huh. in Congress. There's the Westchester County criminal probe. Lock him up. The Trump org God damn it. local officials about the value of its golf course Lock to lower its tax burden. There's a lawsuit in D.C. over Trump overpaying its business for space at the Trump International Hotel during the inauguration. And there's the Manhattan criminal case led by Alvin Bragg, also concerning Trump's property valuations. And the fact that I'm not even sure I listed them all is a testament to the abject corruption and criminality that we've come to expect from Trump, his family, and his company. Now, of course, as certain as the day is long, Trump will point to these lawsuits and investigations as evidence not of his criminality, but of his purported innocence. He took to Truth Social today and wrote, quote, another witch hunt by a racist attorney general, Letitia James, who failed to run for governor, getting almost zero support from the public, and is now doing poorly against law and order AG candidate, highly respected Michael Henry. I never thought this case would be brought until I saw her really bad poll numbers. She's a fraud who campaigned on a Get Trump platform, despite the fact that the city is one of the crime and murder disasters of the world under her watch. Yeah, um, first off, Trump calling the black attorney general racist is really something. Leave it to the rich old white guy to pull the race card. But second, and more importantly, this is what Trump does. He points to every attempt to hold him accountable for his very blatant criminality as if it's some witch hunt. He'll say the fact that he's being investigated is proof that he's being unfairly targeted because Trump's entire strategy is to paint himself as the victim. And so because he'll always just claim that he's on the receiving end of some unjust witch hunt, that gives him carte blanche to continue committing crimes, knowing full well that he'll inevitably fall back on his usual whining about being the victim. In a way, it's the perfect formula for him because the more crimes Trump commits, the more those announcements feed into his narrative of being a target. And so they only bolster his talking points. But here's the important part. While that might work in the court of public opinion, which, for example, is helpful if you're a politician wielding the power of your office, Trump is no longer in office. And to be honest, it doesn't matter what public opinion says at this point, because as these probes move into the courtroom, Trump will lose his most potent defense, which are his lies. So at this point, take Trump's whining with a grain of salt, because what he says doesn't matter. Remember, he had the opportunity to defend himself in this case, and he chose to plead the fifth on every last question except his name. And if his name is the only thing he's willing to tell the truth about, then that offers a pretty clear indication about where this case will go. <laughs> Before That's you go, if you awesome. enjoyed this video and want to see more, Great please job, make Lauren. sure to subscribe to my channel. You can click the thumbnail right here on this screen.
to engage. Okay, so <clears throat> okay, so um, I'm going to tweet him. Okay. Great job, mate. Let's see, Daily Wildcats. Um, who? Puppy. Who is that? Farted. Oh, he's blinking Watchmen. Oh, shit.
Good. Great. You can reply, everyone. KPYT Radio. Turn into a TikTok video. So, I don't know. Um, yeah, Maricopa Young Dems, Arizona Dems. March, Tucson Women's March, Reno, Black History Month, Women's, Chicago March, Okay, so let's get back to the show, man. I was working great. Exposes foreign agent. Donald Trump's new lawyer from Mar-a-Lago search exposes foreign agent of Venezuela. <laughs> Keeps getting better and better. Like in Christmas. Present. If you've been injured in an accident, everyone promises you Second a big settlement. Dude. But the real question... Fired Christopher Kais. Um, he... His ill-gotten filed paperwork about two years ago, uh, stating that he was a foreign agent of the authoritarian Venezuelan Maduro regime and was providing services mm -hmm. to them, a former foreign agent to Venezuela and Maduro's inner circle, specifically mm -hmm. an individual by the name of 
uh, Ronaldo Munoz Pedroza, who's the attorney general uh, who uh, for the Maduro regime. And we have the uh, Foreign Agent Registration Act, FARA, filings. Let's pull those up and show it. Um, so as we pull up the FARA registration from 2020, and we go to response to item six, and this is a law firm that uh, Christopher Keiss used to work at a law firm by the name of Foley and Laudner. And if you see response to item six, Christopher Keiss, Trump's lawyer, foreign principals being represented, um, who he would be rendering services to. And it says, Mr. Keiss will provide foreign principal with legal services. These legal services will include a review of foreign principal files, publicly available documents and or interviews necessary to advise the foreign principal on requirements of and compliance with the laws of the United States, including the various economic sanctions that other U.S. government authorities have imposed or may impose against uh, Venezuela. So this is the individual Christopher Keiss who Trump just hired. Now we're learning that Christopher Keiss left the law firm that he was previously at, basically to work for Trump full time and demanded and received a $3 million retainer up front. Did Trump pay that $3 million retainer out of his own money? No. Of course not. What Donald Trump used was the money from the Save America PAC, which is the organization he contested money. after the November <laughs> elections where he lost by millions of votes and got blown out in the electoral <laughs> college to spread disinformation through this Save America PAC and to engage in obstruction of justice and other efforts to undermine our democratic processes and to overturn the democratic elections of 2020. The Save America Pact, we know, is under investigation by the Department of Justice. They've been named as uh, in a number of subpoenas that the Department of Justice has been sending out. It is a major focus of their investigation. It was also a focus of the January 6th committee. So Christopher Keiss, with knowledge that the Save America PAC is the focus and likely a target of the Department of Justice's criminal investigation for engaging in and tumor of misconduct from undermining elections to grifting and misappropriating funds from donors and lying to donors and everything that Save America PAC was engaged in. Christopher Keis took $3 million from the Save America PAC to represent Trump. And now we're learning that Christopher Keis is a, far, is a registered foreign agent for the government of Venezuela, which is incredibly alarming because Christopher Keis is in the case uh, regarding the search warrant at Mar-a-Lago. So the very idea now that somehow before this special master that Christopher Keis, a foreign agent, could be getting top-secret, sensitive, compartmented information and what, we're not expecting that he's going to share it with foreign adversaries and foreign countries and authoritarian regimes? Like the Maduro regime in Venezuela that he that he's working for. Mm -hmm.
Come on, Captain Black. I mean, how is this individual supposed to handle the top secret sensitive department information? How is he supposed to handle the classified information? How can he be involved in this process? Well, the answer is he shouldn't. I mean, Judge Eileen Cannon's order is absurd and offensive that she's even putting this process before a special master when these top secret sensitive classified documents belong to the executive branch. The executive branch should not allow the criminals it's investigating to commandeer its investigation simply because the criminal being investigated is whining and saying, oh, that may be my documents. I don't know. It may or may not be. They're not his documents. Under no construction of the law can he claim executive privilege over those documents. Can he claim ownership over those documents? Zero, zip, zilch. It doesn't exist other than Trump's corrupt judges. But when you think about it, it all makes sense in a way because the way Trump Trump wants to run his judiciary is actually like banana republics in other countries. That's how, that's why they project and they call the actual law and order that takes place in our system of banana republic. Because all they want to do is overturn democratic processes, democratic institutions, grift, take money. Christopher Keyes leaving his law firm to take the money from the Save America PAC to represent Trump in this action, and it turns out that he is a foreign agent according to federal registration documents from January 2020, and now he's the one who wants his hands on our top secret sensitive compartmented information. Are you kidding me, people? Are you kidding me? This is the thing with MAGA. I mean, this is just disgusting and disturbing stuff. These are our nation's most highest guarded secrets. Republicans don't give a shit if our troops die. They don't give a shit if Americans die. They don't care at all about our national security interests. They don't give a crap. The Republicans, the MAGA Republicans, they want their own perception of power so much that they're willing to do whatever their fascist cosplay cult leader Donald Trump tells them to do. And it's absolutely despicable and it should enrage each and every one of us. A foreign agent is the, is the lawyer of Venezuela who's getting top suit who could be involved. In, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? We'll keep exposing this here on the Midas Touch Network. And I want to give a special shout out to Peter Strzok, who made a, a post on Twitter, which really triggered a lot of uh, this digging. It's a dream job. So if we take that from white men, it's going to be backlash. And I just don't know if I'm ready for the backlash that will come from getting a black jam because if we mess with their classics they gonna mess with our classics that's what's gonna happen do you want to lose the classics do you want to lose what ice ice cube and chris tucker created do you want a white friday because that's what's gonna happen if we it's get a, a black friday. james bond they get a white friday and i don't want that is that what you want you want mark Wahlberg riding around the hood with tip with Timothy Chalmet, Chal, 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 how you say his name? Chal, Chalamet, Chalamet. You, you know the one, you know the one I'm talking about. So, so what are you saying? I'm it's saying that, that, you know, that if it's already a movie, Timothy Chalamet was my, uh, I just worry about the new stuff that's coming along. Twin. Here's the thing, we, we talk about <laughs> diversity in film and all this. The, the, the secret to turning white characters black is that you got to strategically do it from the books. Then nobody knows. Would you change a book character into a different race on screen? 
thought about because people don't read books. Nobody be read. Your book is still like in the New York Times bestseller. How long ago did your book come? You know how many books that came out since your book? That's how much people don't read. They didn't even buy them new books. They would just rather read your book over and over again. That makes no sense. What, 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 are you, what is your point? How can you not follow this? I'm making perfect sense. Look, when you have white characters in a book and you flip them into black characters on screen, yeah. nobody cares. It's already been happening for decades, dog. Well, Morgan Freeman, Shawshank Redemption. In the book, that is a white character. What? Like, for real, for real, I'm dead ass. Morgan Freeman's character in Shawshank Redemption was written as a white man. Same huh. thing, Jackie Brown, the, the home of Pam Grier. Yeah. Much respect to Pam Grier. The book that that movie's based on was a white woman. Wow. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't yeah. Know. You don't you flip the book into the blackness. Yeah. That's how you do it. <laughs> I give you one more. I give you one more. Uh -huh. The book Confess Fletch. You know, the Fletch movie franchise? Yes. In the, in the new, the, the Confess Fletch, the new one, the cop that's investigating Fletch in the book is a white man. But who did they cast in Confess Fletch? Who? <laughs> I'm just saying. Representation. Did you representation? Did you did you take us on this whole journey just to promote your new movie with John Hamm? <laughs> is, that, is that what this whole thing was about? Come on, dog. I would never come on this show and promote Confess Fletch currently in theaters and available on demand. And after that, on the Showtime Paramount Plus bundle, why would I do that? That's disrespectful, brother. What I'm saying is that we, we, we're trying to boil representation down to solely black faces telling white stories. And, and I, but it's more than that. It's about black faces telling original stories. So just give us more of that. Like, like you like Idris Elba. Cool. I like Idris Elba. Yeah. So rather than Idris Elba playing James Bond, okay. what I would like to see is something in the same field. You know, you, you, you could have him with a gun and he's a smooth talker with the ladies, but, but, but he's in Harlem. Right? Okay. As in Harlem. Okay. And that's a, that's a fresh idea. And leather jacket, too. Yeah, leather jacket in Harlem, and he's, you know, fighting crime. You made Shop. Yeah. That's what you made. I did not make Shop. I made You didn't come up with a new That was Shop. That's not Shop. That's a different. That, you talking about Shop. My movie's called Shop. <laughs> it's different. You put the little thing over the A. Where then, would Junior, everybody? <clears throat> this looks great. Oh, it's actually kind of old, but I love the title. It's, Trump gets a lawsuit and an FBI report for his birthday, June 14, 2018. 2018. How can he get a lawsuit when he was under, when he was, he was pressed? Stolen election. <laughs> yes. What do you get, the man who has everything? A pair of handcuffs. Handcuffs. Yes. Handcuffs. He did. He did get have a bit of a mixed birthday today because, on the one hand, um, the New York Attorney General the uh, served him a lawsuit, which is Trump's. Yeah. Which is, uh, 
Amazing. Which I feel is Trump's favorite kind of suits. Uh, <laughs> baggy suits and lawsuits, the only ones I like, folks. Um, yeah, because apparently one of his charities was involved in some shadiness. So we'll see where that goes. And then obviously they're making it, Trump is making it seem like that's like a partisan thing. But then on the flip side, he did get a sort of birthday present because the uh, IG released a report. Remember James Comey was being investigated and remember the FBI had those texts that they had sent out amongst themselves. And so they had found that James Comey, there were, there were a few irregularities. For instance, he used his private email to do some FBI work. Yeah, and wherever Hillary was, she was like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, but they did say that he wasn't politically motivated. If anything, they said what he did hurt Hillary. Um, and, like, he wasn't working to protect her, uh, although some people still argue that. And then there were, two, there were texts that were found. And these are, like, this is, like, the worst part of the finding, really, between um, uh, an agent, I think it's Peter Strzok, I think his name is, and, and, a lo and his, his lover in the FBI, and they had sent texts to each other, and she said, um, like, do you think Trump is going to win? And he basically goes, no, he won't. And she's like, what if he does? And he's like, we'll stop him. And people are like, oh, yeah, what does that mean? Like, we'll stop him with the power of the vote? <laughs> so, yeah, that's, but, and so the report ruled that it's the, the, the FBI um, agents showed a willingness to stop Trump, but they didn't actually do something. But I don't care what anyone says, it looks bad. You know, I'm not going to stay, I'm not going to sit here and be like, and there's some people I've seen online where they're going like, they're going like, oh, but they, they didn't do anything. It's just, I'm like, yo, can you imagine if you found out the FBI during Obama's term, like someone, like FBI agents were texting and one of them was like, what if he wins? It's like, don't worry, he'll be born in Kenya. <laughs> Name is, and, and, a lo and his, his lover in the FBI. That, and then there were, two, there were texts that were found. And these are like, this is like the worst part of the finding, really between um, uh, an agent, I think it's Peter Strzok, I think his name is, and, and, a lo and his, his lover in the FBI, and they had sent texts to each other, and she said, um, like, do you think Trump is gonna win? And he basically goes, no, he won't, and she's like, what if he does? And he's like, we'll stop him. And people are like, oh, yeah, what does that mean? Like, we'll stop him with the power of the vote? <laughs> So, yeah, that's, but, and so the report ruled that it's, the, the, the FBI um, agents showed a willingness to stop Trump, but they didn't actually do something. But I don't care what anyone says, it looks bad. You know, I'm not going to stay, as long as I sit here and be like, and there's some people I've seen online where they're going like, they're going like, oh, but they, they didn't do anything. I'm like, yo, can you imagine if you found out the FBI during Obama's term, like someone, like FBI agents were texting and one of them was like, what if he wins? It's like, don't worry, he'll be born in Kenya. <laughs> Upbeat music. Um, presidential life one year ago, Obama. Here's for the Obama lovers. Trump gets Friends, Trump walk up to me and be like, what the f is in your mug? Post presidential life and nurturing future leaders. On the Daily Show one year ago. I don't have all the time. You want me to be very good at like. So is this like a roundabout way of saying you just want me to give short, uh, pithy answers? No, I don't want short questions. You want me to speed up? You want me to talk?
Are you gonna filibuster me or like? Cause I don't have all the time. <laughs> you want me to be very good at like? So is this like a roundabout way of saying you just want me to give short, uh, pithy answers? No, I don't want short questions. You want they me to speed like up? You want me to talk faster? No, 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 no. Please, Mr. President. I will not. I will not purposely filibuster. But sometimes I will have a pause <laughs> as I'm formulating my thoughts, as you well know. Michelle, okay. Michelle has been speeding up my auto, uh, my my audio book. So, you know, I guess you can press a button so it plays yeah, like Yeah, you can do like 1.25 or 1.5, yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah, you were a 1.5 guy. You're definitely yeah. a 1.5 guy. <laughs> I was a little offended by that, but that's okay. That's fine. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't communicate the depth of feeling with which I'm doing the reading, but it's okay. How do you like being referred to, like just as a human being? Do you like Mr. President? People call me Barack, but then sometimes some folks feel awkward doing it. Obviously, my, that's what my friends call me. You, <laughs> so I, I consider you a friend, but you may feel, you know, so... No, no, no. The people, the people will feel like... They, they, like, even Africans will... They'll write me letters saying, how dare you this is refer my to... So I don't want to get yeah. you in trouble. So you can mm -hmm. say, I, Mr. President... That makes you, sense. You can call me POTUS. My favorite one was Obizzle. That was my favorite. <laughs> Please call me that. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. President... Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing oh, Show. Busy. I am very happy to be here with you. You're out there <laughs> promoting a brand new book, A Promised Land. A 700-page book, if I may add. I love reading your stuff, don't get me wrong, but like, I would have liked 350, 350. Why 700 pages? You know, I would have, been, I would have broken it up even more. But, uh, you know, the, the publishers thought that breaking it up into two volumes would be uh, about right. And... Look, the, the goal of the book was to give people a sense of what it's like to be in the White House right? Uh, as a normal person, uh, finding themselves in extraordinary circumstances. And I, and I think part of the goal, particularly for young people, uh, I wanted them to, to get a sense that you know, not everybody's going to end up being president, but if you decide that your voice makes a difference, if you decide that you can have an impact, then through the ups and downs, you will end up uh, having some pretty extraordinary experiences. And, and I, want, I want it to be an encouragement for people to say, ah, you know, the guy, yeah, he's okay, but he's, he's not a, so special, and look what he ended up doing. Maybe I can do something, uh, something as well. It feels like this book is Barack Obama convincing Barack Obama to remain optimistic. <laughs> and what I mean by convincing Barack Obama, I think of like a young Barack Obama. I think of uh, a fledgling Barack Obama. I'm not trying to emulate you per se, but rather yeah. anyone who's trying to make a change in the world or their world. That's what, that's what it feels like. Yeah. If, you, if you are writing to young people to be optimistic in the book, what are some of the frustrations that you understand on their side that may hinder that optimism? You know, because if a young person says, yeah, but this system right now is crumbling more and more, how, how, do, you, how do you maintain that optimism? Or do you think that there has to be a point where they go, I'm not optimistic, I'm just fighting to break what it is to create something new? Part of the reason that it's 700 pages long is because <laughs> by reading the book, they'll see, man, there are a lot of structural problems uh, or, or barriers in right. making this place better. We're, we're learning right now in vivid, uh, a vivid example of the fact that our democracy is not uh, the way we would imagine it to be, right? There are all kinds of 
elements to it where the most votes don't necessarily translate into uh, the equivalent amount of power. Uh, very popular proposals can wither on the vine because of a filibuster in the Senate. Mm -hmm. And and so I, I don't try to gloss those over. You know, the Paris Accord did not solve climate change, but it created a, the first global framework whereby all countries agreed we have to do something about this. And here's right. a mechanism to do it. You, you can s still be terrified about the pace at which we are burning up the planet, and yet think that was a worthwhile endeavor uh, because it gives us at least the opportunity maybe three, four, five years down the road to keep building on that. So th that is the kind of mentality I want young people to have. Um, a, a certain impatience, a certain frustration, a certain anger about the status quo. There are times now where you, know, you, you have younger activists criticizing me for Obama. Why didn't you take care of this or that or the other? And I, I welcome them feeling frustrated and impatient mm -hmm. because that's how I was uh, before I got started. And then they'll get their own knocks on the head and uh, <laughs> you know, uh, some stuff won't work out exactly the way they want, but the impulse. Exercise and healthy eating alone doesn't sculpt an hourglass figure, especially if you've got a rectangle body like I used to. It's not that we can't get angry young people. Is, is the one that I want to encourage because it's, it's as a consequence of that, that constant striving and imagining something better that things don't get exactly as we want it, but they get better. You're a very serious person because, I mean, you're a president of the United States, but at the same time, you're a lot more fun than a lot of people think. You know, I, I, I'm constantly trying to explain to people I'm a funny guy, but but I don't know. But you, re but you really are. You really, really are. <laughs> and what I liked in the book is there are moments where there's just like a roasting of people or life, like the G20. I've never I've never heard of a world leader describe the G20 the way you do in the book, the high school of it all. I wondered on a personal level, have you maintained connections with those world leaders as like, for, like do, you, do you send Angela Merkel memes? Do you, like, who are you still close with just as a human being? You know, I don't send Angela Merkel memes, but I talk to her sometimes. Sometimes, you know, she'll give me a call, I'll give her a call, and, and uh, we'll trade notes. Um, you know, there are a handful of folks uh, who uh, you've been in the foxhole with, right? You've, you've, right. you've done some good, important work. Um, some of them are still uh, in power, so I don't want to mention that, you know, uh, that I'm giving them a call because, you know, who knows, <laughs> that might give them, get them in trouble. You mentioned somebody like an Angela Merkel. Look, uh, you know, the stance she took in Europe relative to immigration and the enormous political cost she paid for that, and yet there was something inside her that said, look, I I'm not going to uh, simply abandon uh a million people who are in desperate need. You know, you see that in somebody, uh, and and you say, uh, I, I, it it encourages you that for all the uh, cruelty and and venality and corruption around the world, there are a lot of good people doing good work, and some of them actually rise to significant positions of power, and and uh, uh, in that sense democracy can work 
the way it's supposed to. Uh, if you know we have a, a, a vigilant citizenry, and, and uh, that's not always the case. You started leadership programs, not just in South Africa, but all over the world. The Obama Foundation has set about on a journey to inspire young people to grow up to become leaders. Growing up in South Africa, I was taught about the different levels of what a struggle is going to be. You know, the freedom fighters may not necessarily be the best politicians. Right. The best politicians may not necessarily best be the best leaders. Right. Uh, the best activists may not be the best organizers and so on and so right. forth. Everyone has a role to play in right. trying to get to a certain place. And so I wonder, when you set up these, you know, this, this leadership academy that's, that's all over the globe, you know, you're clearly trying to create mini Obamas everywhere, um, which is probably the, like a fever dream of the right. But what, you, what you're trying to do is create something specific. And I would like to know what that is. What do, you, what do you believe a leader is? Not just somebody who's in power, but a leader. The program we did in, in uh, uh, Johannesburg, we gathered up 200 young leaders from 50 countries on the continent of Africa. And it was as varied, you, you had young women who uh, had started rural health clinics. Yeah. You had MPs uh, you know, who, who had taken a more conventional political route. Uh, you had entrepreneurs. The thing they all had in common, though, was this, this sense not only that the world could be better and that they had a role to play in it, but also the belief that they couldn't do it by themselves and that they had to, in some ways, unlock the potential and power of other people. A speech I gave in Johannesburg uh, in conjunction with that, it was, it was for the anniversary of Mandela's uh, 100th anniversary, um, where I, I, I contrasted that sort of democratic inclusive leadership to the strongman leadership that, in some ways, We've seen ascendant in certain parts of the world. Um, in some ways, has was ascendant uh, here in the United States. Um, We're listening to and, and those President are two Barack different Obama stories of what it means to be a leader and and power and uh, that conflict, that battle between a more democratic, inclusive vision and one that's top-down, dominant, subordinate. Uh, yeah, that's. A contest that's taking place here in the United States and around the world, and uh, it's not going to be finished just because the election's over and, and Donald Trump was defeated. Because you see examples of this in the Philippines, in Hungary, uh, in, in uh, a variety of countries uh, uh, in, in Africa and Asia, and, and uh, so that that contest is going to continue. What I find fascinating about the conversation that a lot of Americans are having now, and you you, you talk about this in the book as well, is how America's influence in the world has diminished over the past few years. You know, how, how countries around the world have no longer said, what is America doing? We'll work with them. It's, it's been more like, no, guys, we can't wait for America. We're doing our own thing. But I wonder, as, as somebody who has grown up in other parts of the world, as someone who has family in other parts of the world, is, is there an argument that maybe that's a good thing, that the world doesn't follow America anymore? Or what, what, would, the, what would the inverse of that argument be? Like, should the world follow America or is it time for the world to start doing its own thing and America to be less the world police? I think it is a good thing that other countries catch up and have their own capabilities and their own agency. Yeah. That's not something that I think uh, America should fear. My argument would be that 
even in a more multipolar world where uh, you don't have just one big power, but you have uh, other countries who are coming into their own. Uh, the principles that America articulated at its best about rule of law, human rights, uh, freedom of speech, democracy, those values, at least I choose to believe, uh, are not exclusively American. Yeah. You, as somebody who lived in South Africa, know uh, the, 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 the play that in other countries sometimes you, you hear where somebody who's doing something entirely for power uh, and, and money and influence will say, if they're criticized, they say, ah, you know, you've been just influenced by Western thinking. That, that's colonial thinking. No, 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 no. You, you are stealing from your people. Don't, and, and when we <laughs> criticize you, don't, don't claim that somehow uh, uh, it, this is some uh, American uh, hegemony being uh, asserted against you. We're calling you on the fact that you're a thief. I, I think it's important for us to, 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 to recognize that for all its failings, the, the, the values that America has often articulated on the world stage have been ones that I would still believe in and that a lot of people took comfort from. And when we are not asserting them, oftentimes they don't, uh, you know, they don't play out uh, on the world stage. I sometimes wondered if you ever grappled with the difficulty of the paradox that America was creating in what it was trying to do in the world and then what its actions were sometimes creating in the world, you know? I, I, I mean, I think about that in the Middle East, you know, wars that have been started under false pretenses, people who have been killed, who had nothing to do, you know? And so I wonder, as someone who had to make decisions and someone who was in that leadership position, do you sometimes grapple with how America did or did not help itself in, in how it acted with the world? Because in the world, like I'll tell you as an international person, we would oftentimes go like, man, yes, America's great and it's doing wonderful things, but then you'd be like, but also, man, sometimes they just break the rules and uh, no one can say anything about it. Absolutely. Well, and I, and I record examples in the book of, of where I'm grappling with this, right? And one of the interesting challenges of being president of the United States, but I think being head of government or, or state uh, in any country, is uh, you inherit a legacy, right? So if I come in as president and... Thanks for tuning in to the Christopher Governator Show. Thanks for a billion listeners. <laughs> Across social media, Trismegistus. <clears throat> I do ASMRs, daily ASMRs to hashtag Heal America, Soothe America. From the long, hard, four long, hard nightmare fears of the Trump regime. And I noticed that Trump stole my that expression from me. Trump stole the expression, four long, hard years. Mine was uh, four long, hard, nightmarish years of the Trump regime. And also... Uh, I noticed Biden stole another one of my expressions. It's not the first time he's stolen it. Uh, it's uh, hell to the no hell to the no. So yeah. Undo the Iraq War. 
the decision to go into Iraq. Now, I, I, I right. can manage as best I can how we can wind down that war, mitigate some of the damage that's been done, but I can't reverse it. Um, did you ever did you ever envy though how like Trump just came in and basically broke shit though? Because I mean he didn't care. Uh, no, I, I didn't envy it because I do care, and and I and I I, I I do not think that is an option to to simply pretend that that the legacy of problems or issues that you inherit uh, are somehow things you can just brush aside. Um, so, so the answer is yes. I, I would struggle with the fact that any action I took, particularly when you're talking about, um, you know, counterterrorism, right? That's probably the area where uh, I, I wrestled with this most because my obligation, first and foremost, in the United States, was to make sure that people didn't get hurt. Uh, th that's sort of the bare minimum that you expect out of a nation state that you're living in, uh, is that you can defend against harm. Because you're dealing with non-state actors, that meant that by the time I took office, you had networks that were embedded in societies, uh, not necessarily supported by those societies, but they're there, and they are plotting and they're planning. And, and that wasn't made up. Uh, and there were organizations that if they could blow up the New York subway system, they would. Uh, if they could get their hands on a biological weapon, they would use it. You then are wrestling with how do I protect the American people from those actors, but do it in a way that is morally and, and ethically justified. Uh, and war is madness. Kinetic action of any sort, military action of any sort, that, that results in death and destruction at a certain level is not the thing I would want humanity to do. And what happens to people is tragic. Uh, it, is not, uh, it is not something you gloss over. What, what, what it does to our soldiers and our troops, uh, you know, as I talk about in the book, uh, it's not just the harm that our young men and women suffered, and I would witness in Walter Reed, but They're it's destroyed. also uh, how it changes the them internally when them. they have uh, engaged Psyche. in violence, even if necessary right. and justified They've against others. Killed so, people. Um, the, the best I could come up with kill was to never uh, glorify it, to, to never pretend like it isn't a dilemma. And so those kinds of um, questions, I think, are, are ones that uh, uh, not only should American leaders have to grapple with, but I think the American people have to be aware. And, and sometimes the media does not do a very good job. It's a very binary, you know, the Iraq war, it's glorious for the first year and a half, and then suddenly it's not. Yes. And yes. we're shocked that us invading another country might turn out to be messy. Um, ho hopefully that's not uh, a lesson we have to uh, repeatedly relearn. 2020 was a year for many of racial reckoning. You know, it was the year when people of all ages took to the streets, black and white alike, and said, we need to change the way the police deal with 
people in this country, predominantly black people in this country. It was an interesting time as well because, I mean, your presidency, as you know better than anyone, people thought, well, that is it. We're now in a post-racial utopia. Barack Obama's in the White House. We have half black, half white, all black, good times. Let's have a good one. And then people saw that there was still a lot of work to be done. Let's talk a little bit about the movement as you see it. The problem I have with headlines sometimes is like people take things out of context, etc. But some activists criticize you for saying they've got to be careful of snappy slogans, you know, like defund the police because it loses people. Yeah, about but I, 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 I wonder, do you think that the slogan is, is, is the thing that makes people for or against you? Or do you think people are just going to be for or against you and then the slogan doesn't really mean as much? And what I mean by that is, like, like Donald Trump's Make America Great Again, it's not, a, it's not a very divisive slogan if you look at it on the face of it. That's a great slogan. Why would anyone not want to make America great again? But the subtext said something else. When you're thinking of that, as someone who's great at slogans, by the way, I mean, yes, we can. It's snappy. It worked. Although, as I said uh, in the book, uh, I actually thought it was corny. I didn't. I didn't like it that much <laughs> when uh, when my team uh, came up with it. Um, and then yeah, they went Trump to ask Michelle, like, and Michelle said, "No, it's uh, not corny." It's fine. So clearly, she had a better a political uh, brain than I did on this. I, 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 I'm glad you actually brought this up because you know what's been fascinating uh, while I've been on this book tour is. You know, people have asked me, what's my source of optimism? And uniformly, uh -huh. what I have said is, nothing made me more optimistic during a very difficult year than the activism that we saw uh, in the wake of the George Floyd's murder uh, and right. Black Lives Matter. And I oh, have cool. consistently believed oh, that finally uh, coming out their courage, uh, activism, media the savvy... You said uh, about BLM resolve uh, far exceeds anything that I could have done at, at their age and I, I think where were you man shifted the conversation in, in ways that uh, I, I would not even even imagined a couple of years ago so throughout this this uh, slew of, of compliments I by the way um I, I like him I like Obama personally. He's a, he's very intelligent, you know, well spoken. Um, um, you know, he seems he talks the talk, you know, but as it turns out, everybody should know that his first job out of college was with Kissinger, Henry Kissinger. This is a fucking war, unindicted war criminal. So, and he didn't do anything he said he was going to do. He did, um, get, we, we got Obamacare. That was one good thing. And, you know, he's a very stable person. Unflappable. And, and he's a great comedian. I was just thinking about how I'm um, doing a, uh, like an opinion, a little opinion show, like, you know, sharing my, my opinion of Obama, you know, 
compared to compared to Trump. Even even I started to miss Obama. Huh. I then said, well, what do you think about the particular slogan, uh, defund uh, the police? And I said, well, that particular slogan, I think the concern is that the there may be potential be allies out there that you lose. And the issue always is, uh, how do you get uh, enough people to support to. your cause mm -hmm. that it, you can actually police. institutionalize it that and translate it into laws, right. structures, yeah. and so forth? There were two or three writers who I admire who wrote, oh, Obama's making an admission to chastise Black Lives Matter. And you go, what? Uh, hold on a second. I, I just spent <laughs> the, the whole summer complimenting them. What are you talking about? The, the reason uh, it, it caught attention, I suspect, is there were some in the Democratic Party who suggested the reason we didn't do better in uh, the congressional elections this time yes. Out, yes. was because of this phrase. And right. I think that people assumed that somehow I was making an argument that Right. That's why the we right didn't get, wing nuts just you know, used it uh, against um, a bigger Democratic majority. The left that actually was not the point I was radical. Making. I was making a very particular point around okay. if Let's we in change. fact want to Let's translate. Stop using defund the police because they commandeered it. The right wing nuts. So how about shut it down? Let's shut down the police. A reform, reform hashtag reform the police. I think that that's the. I like shut down the police. That's pretty rad. Maybe both of them. Those are two of my favorites. It, the, 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 the very legitimate does stutter belief bit. that how we do policing needs to change. But, and that if there is, for example, uh, a homeless guy seems like ranting and guy. railing in the middle of the street. But, you know, sending us another uh, actor. A mental health worker, rather than an armed... And this is a kind of a contentious thing for some people, probably. But uh, I consider Obama kind of like a blackface George W. Bush. Because, uh, you know, George W. Bush is playing a role, too. He was playing the folksy Alaska, you know, um, you know, like Sarah Palin... Yeah, do I see? No, I see. I can see right from my backyard. You know, they're kind of like folksy bullshit. Um, and so they took on they're Connecticut Yankees, like I am. The Bush family. They're fucking Connecticut Yankees, like I am. Okay, they don't have a fucking twine Texas twine. They don't have a fucking cowboy twine. They're from fucking Connecticut. <laughs> but it was all part of an act. <clears throat> Untrained Charades. police officer to deal with Charades. that person might be a better outcome for all of us and make us safer. I don't care what you're doing. No, you yes, you do. You do care what I'm doing. I don't need to do anything of the kind. And make that it if we describe that to 
not just white folks, but let's say Michelle's mom, that makes sense to them. But if we say defund the police, not just white folks, but Michelle's mom might say, if I'm getting robbed, who am I going to call? And is somebody going to show up? Mm-hmm. Right? right. So the issue here becomes, you know, at any given time, how are we translating and using language? Not to make people more comfortable, quote unquote, right? Because that's always a strain and historically, right? The, the, the concern in these debates is also, uh, is often, uh, oh, are, are, are we just trying to make white people comfortable rather than speaking truth to power, right? That's the framework we tend to think about these things. Right, the, yeah. The issue to me is not making them comfortable. It is, can we be precise with our language enough that people who might be persuaded around that particular issue to make a particular change that gets a particular result that we want, what's the best way for us to describe that? And so what you're basically saying is we should workshop all of our slogans with Michelle. That's what I hear you saying. <laughs> that probably would be wise. Uh, it, it, would, it would probably work. But, but I want to go back to something you said earlier, which I think is, is, is really important. Um, and I, and I, I said this in the wake of, of some of this criticism. Uh, I said, look, part of this is also everybody has different roles to play. An activist, a movement leader is, is going to provide a prophetic voice and speak certain truths that somebody who is going to be elected into office will not be able to say. I, I reread uh, James Baldwin's A Fire Next Time this summer. How is it that something written 50 years ago, 55 years right. ago, yeah. Yeah. applies directly today, right? Despite everything that's happened. To, to me, that is as searing and as honest a, a portrayal of the, the, the gaping wound of race in America. But of course, James Baldwin can be elected to the U.S. Senate, or unlikely that he would want to be the mayor of a city who's responsible for figuring out how do I deal with the police union, right? That's somebody else's role. And, and all these roles are important. Uh, and so, you know, why, why do you think, if I may interrupt, why do you think, though, that Republicans or right-wingers now do that, though? That's, that's something that I, I've, I've struggled to, to, to understand. You see now, even in this election, I mean, some of the Republicans who were running were QAnon supporters, and they were going, we're running, and this is what, and some of them are winning. Some of them are so extreme, and they're winning. And so I, I sometimes wonder if, if there's this, there's this is, is it just a political thing in America where if, you, if you're in the Republican Party, you can be completely bombastic in what you believe in, and then as a Democrat, you're trying to toe the line between centrist and, 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 and left-leaning? No, well, or, no but, or, well, because I think, in fact... Uh, the Republican Party is the minority party in this country. The only reason that it doesn't look like they're the minority party is because of structures like the U.S. Senate uh, and the Electoral College that don't render them the majority party. So, so they have certain built-in advantages around power, given their population distribution and how uh, our government works. But the truth of the matter is, is that 60% of the people are, are occupying what I would consider a more reality-based 
uh, universe, and mm -hmm. those are the those are the constituents we're speaking to, and that is a more diverse group. You know, I, I describe uh, in the book the first time I go to the uh, to the Republican House Caucus to speak to them, and I think there was an Asian guy or gal, and, and maybe a couple of Hispanics, um, and that was it. I, I, it is much more homogeneous, which means that yes, they have to do less work, but it also uh, means that they are they can talk to themselves, and as a consequence of the way our uh, democracy, our republic is structured, they don't have to appeal to as broad of a base. Um, that's not fair. Your laundry soap is destroying the earth. I know that it hurts, but listen, it's about to get worse. Don't mean to be terse. Stop until the end of the verse to help you change your ways before the planet lands in a hearse. These giant jugs of plastic trash should be clearly labeled with a warning, not just heavy and unsightly. But, you know, I, I, I at least would prefer not uh, having the progressives model ourselves out of, uh, or, or model ourselves on, on uh, the current Republican Party. I, that doesn't feel like a good strategy to me uh, to get the outcomes that we want. Let's talk a little bit about, let's loosen things up. Uh, let's unbutton one of those, uh, one, one of those buttons on the shirt there. <laughs> um, as someone who I consider to be one of the best deliverers of jokes and, uh, and roasts, are you going to be more careful going forward about who you roast? And I say this because you roasted Donald Trump, he ran for president. You roasted Kanye West. He ran for president. So I don't know if you've noticed, but you have an ability to inspire people to run for the highest office in the land with some of the jokes that you tell about them. Well, I, I should I should roast people uh, people I admire more. I'll, I'll, I'll start roasting you, man. Who knows? Although you weren't born here, so you know. But look, born, look, I'm I'm I, I was able to get away I'm, with I'm it apparently. <laughs> Who knows? Um, before I let you go, I wanted to know one last thing, and that is being president of the United States is arguably the toughest job in the world. When you transition back to personal life, I wonder what that is like, because unlike you, I don't have that power. I've never been able to like just change a thing in the world or do something about it. But now in many ways, you are like me in that you see the thing on the TV and then you get angry or sad, but you cannot really do anything about it. And so I wonder, as, as former President Barack Obama, have you, have you transitioned into that completely, or do you find different ways to try and fix the problems that you see in the world? Well, first of all, I'm not anything like you. Uh, I still have a lot more influence in class. So let's just be clear. Come on, man. I was, hoping you'd let that slide. I was hoping you'd I was hoping you just let that one slide. I was hoping you'd just be like, yeah, you know, Trevor, in no, many ways. Look, I, I, the truth is that um, I I did not have those kinds of withdrawals. And I know that there, there are people who uh, I know who've had them when they leave public life uh, and, and it, very visibly, you know, they're, they, they want to get back on stage. Yeah, Michelle and I—that's something we share. Um, we feel good about the work we did. We don't feel anxiety about not being the center of attention. Um, 
we get frustrated, like I think citizens around the world and here in the country do, uh, when we see something unjust or, or uh, unfair. And yes, the, the goal, I think, for us is to find new ways uh, to have that same impact, understanding that we'll never have the exact same impact as you have in yeah, the whole office. But you know, a lot of the work around the foundation is, it, you know, you said create a lot of Obamas. I'm not sure that's the goal. But to, you know, if, if 10 years, 20 years down the road, there are 1,000, 10,000, 100,000 young people who are now moving into positions of authority and power, and in some ways uh, have been shaped by our example in a positive way, yeah, that, that, uh, that's a legacy that may exceed anything that we did uh, you know, while we were in, in, uh, in, in our formal positions. And, and, uh, and that feels pretty good. Well, I could talk to you for hours, but luckily I have a 700-page book to answer the rest of my questions. Um, thank you for joining me. Thank you for taking the time. Um, and, uh, yeah, thank you for being you. Hey. Mr. Mr. President, a.k.a. Obizzle. Thank you for joining me on the Daily Social Distancing Show. I enjoyed Distancing it, man. Show. We'll do it again. Volume Definitely. two. Nice. Yeah, pretty classic guys. Compared to a fucking Nazi clown. Anyway, thanks for tuning in. And uh, <clears throat> please wear a mask in public indoor spaces. And please call all three branches of government, especially the Department of Justice and Demand Indictments, about a year and a half ago for Mr. Trump and 147-plus GOP traitors. White House, 202-456-1111. Congress, 202-224-3121. Department of Justice, 202-514-2000. And call it religiously. Okay? Now be good. And bye.